Hey, uh, it would be uh, really, really true. Those who have been around the project long enough would know that, um, uh, well, for those who are new today, we're a church plant of Toowoomba City Church. Um, Diff, Nathan and myself lead the place. We work full-time in the school here uh, and we love the opportunity God's given us both in the school but also uh, in the church here, um, which is not just on the weekends on Sunday morning but it's actually uh, most of the rest of our time. Which, uh, which we love, all right, because uh, that's really what church is meant to be. But those who have been at the project long enough will know that we've been through some pretty, last time I preached, we went through some pretty brutal stuff, right? Uh, preached, I think, two weeks on suffering and then the last week on death, and some of you may have wanted to die by the end of it. And you're just kind of going, well, I'm suffering right now as a result of the last three that you preached. But it's all going to be different today. All right? Because I think God would call us as a church to be more passionate than what we are. Okay? And it's not about fabrication. It's not about making things up. But I honestly feel over the last 14, 15 months that we've uh, had preached at the project some really, really amazing stuff. And uh, sometimes we can get pretty ho-hum about it. Or we can think, oh, that's nice. All right? Now, God doesn't tell you stuff about himself because it's nice. All right? He tells you stuff about himself because he wants to bless you, he wants you to understand things about him, and he wants you to be consumed by it. Um, and uh, to be honest, from the leadership's point of view, we think one thing is probably just a tiny little bit weak for us, a little bit weaker than what we'd like is people's love and their passion and their heart for God. Okay? So uh, hopefully some of that will be stirred up in you today because I don't think it gets stirred up in you by someone standing up the front and saying, Be happy! You know? You just go, well, I'm scared right now because this guy's weird, all right? Um, so I'm just going to pray and, uh, and we'll get to work. And uh, hopefully uh, God will stir something in you. Why don't you pray with me? Jesus, thank you uh, so much for starting everything. You started everything right in the, v- the very beginning. It was your word that created everything. And then it all got messed and you started the rescue. Right back in Genesis chapter 3, the rescue began right at the point where people first got into trouble. And so um, I thank you that it continues today and that we're part of that right now. And I pray, Lord, that you'd stir us. I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you'd work in us and you'd bring about love and service and worship to you. I pray you'd do that today amongst us. Amen. All right. Um, what I'm going to talk about today, we are doing Hebrews and you'll see how it connects to Hebrews a little bit later on but we're just going to start from left field a little bit at the start. I was thinking uh, the other day as I was preparing about this, I was thinking about friendship and how central friendship is in life. And I remember uh, my dad was a, uh, a Presbyterian minister for many years and one of the gigs with being a pastor's kid is when your dad gets moved to another church. You go to another church and you often go to another school and uh, you have to make new friends, all right? And um, I personally found that pretty difficult to do, to be honest. I found making friends really difficult. My mum and dad had always come out with that dumb line, which is not that dumb because it's in Proverbs, but has anyone ever had their parents say this to them? You've got to be a friend before you get a friend. Just go, thanks, that's just not helping me at all, all right? Because I don't know how you be a friend when you don't have one, all right? You kind of got to be near someone to be a friend. And... Uh, so uh, we actually, uh, probably the hardest move for me was actually, uh, we moved at the end of grade, uh, grade nine for me and I moved to Sydney, went to state high schools my whole life, got to Sydney and I uh, went to Carlingford State High School and for those here who know Mr Thomas from the school, he was teaching at Carlingford State High School like two years before I went there or something like that, that just weirded me out when I found that out. But anyway, uh, I moved there and uh, beginning of grade 10, um, didn't want to move, you get there, it's a school, I think it was about 1,300 students in the high school, so a big state school in Sydney. Um, and I just honestly, some of you just think, maybe, well, maybe from my preaching, some of you think, I can understand why he doesn't make many friends, <laughs> all right? But I actually found it, and I've always found it a little bit difficult to make, to make friends. And I'm not talking about relationships, superficial relationships, I'm talking about friend friends, you know, like close friends. And um, I remember I uh, found these dudes uh, early on in my time down there and uh, I thought, oh, these guys are cool guys. Maybe these guys are going to be my friends. And so we all had to walk 
uh, down to this uh, squash centre for uh, sport one afternoon. And of course, as soon as we get in the bushes, all my mates start lighting up cigarettes and I'm going, no, this is not such a good call. But then uh, very soon after that, I met a friend who was a friend friend and he became a very, very close friend uh, to me. Um, and, and it just, you know, friendship's an interesting thing, isn't it? It just really locks you in, doesn't it? And it's not just about friendship with s- someone else, someone of the, of, the, of the same sex. It's also, I mean, marriage is about friendship, isn't it? And a, a, a common thing that, that I deal with at the school here is students who, they feel like they're not good enough to have any friends. Or their friends write them off or they don't have any friends. And they're lonely. And we see every now and then newspaper articles and and news, and news stories on the TV where people have died and they've been dead for four months before someone even noticed that they were dead. You know, and there's something that's really sad about that, you know, and I, and I kind of think even the people who say they don't need friends are still dominated by the friendship issue, aren't they? They're, they're either pushing it away or they're, or they're trying to embrace it and for whatever reason it's to their harm. People are not treating them well and they're not handling them well. You see, you look on TV and... Every TV show almost is about friendship, isn't it? I mean, you look at the TV sitcom called Friends and that show is really about people with really dysfunctional behaviour, antisocial behaviour, who still manage to be loyal and to be friends with each other, wasn't it? It's interesting. I mean, at the moment, there's a really dumb show on TV uh, where there's there's people who... uh, I don't want to go into it too much, but one of them's fathered a child and the other couple's bringing the child up. Does anyone know the show I'm talking about? And it's just weird because the two couples are really good friends. And yet this guy over here is bringing up a son who's not his son. It's the, uh, the other guy's son. And it's just like you've got this, these two relationships or this friendship between two people that shouldn't work. But it's this drive within human beings, isn't it, that we, we want friendship. We actually want to connect at a deep level. You look at Lord of the Rings. I mean, if friendship is not a critical component of Lord of the Rings, I'm not sure, I'm not sure where there's too many things that, that beat that. The friendship between Sam and Frodo, isn't it? And it's really, it's Sam that, that saves the day at the end and helps things to come to a good conclusion. And then you go to The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and The Chronicles of Narnia and you've got this incredible, intense and loving and free friendship that seems to be going on between Lucy and Aslan. It just kind of pops up all of the time. And I was even thinking the other day about Castaway. You know that movie Castaway with Tom Hanks in it where his plane crashes, yeah, and he ends up on that island and his only friend is Wilson, the volleyball or whatever it is? Isn't part of the plot of uh, the movie Castaway, it's, it's almost his sense, is he going to make it? Like he's on his own. Will he make it? How's he going to make it when he's on his own? And the truth is that we all know that friendship's central. And you know why friendship's central? Friendship is central because friendship is central in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all good friends. They're really, really, really good friends. Here's what Mark Driscoll says about it. He says, God is one God, three persons. We call it the Trinity. Another way to look at it is that God is a friend and he has friends. God himself is a friend and he has friends and God makes us in his image and likeness for friendship with him and with one another. Isn't that nice? But the weird thing about our culture is friendship has got lost, hasn't it? Because, and now we actually think this is friendship. All right? Isn't that true? This is off the project's page. All right? So if you recognise some people there. I mean, you might call some of these people friends, but seriously, would you invite that guy to your slumber party? <laughs> And there's this sense now that you can be friends with someone but not even really talk to them. I mean, you could be, couldn't you? I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people if you're on Facebook where, and you're friends with them, but you don't even ever talk to them. Maybe you might chat with them every now and then, but you don't talk to them. And the truth is that friendship, the concept of friendship has been cheapened, hasn't it? Like, I can have 250 friends on Facebook. Really? I mean, you can have 250 people who click the same button on their page... That's what you've got, all right? And the truth is, friendship's actually costly. It costs money, it costs time, you have to invest in it. You can probably only have two or three really, really good friends. Isn't that true? If you really, you talk about a real friend, they're not friends. I mean, some of them might be your friends. I'm not saying that they're not friends to you, all right? 
But they're not, you, you haven't invested lots and lots of time in them. I mean, you look at Jesus and it looks like Jesus probably had three friends when he was on the earth. Peter, James and John. Now, was, did he have acquaintances? Did he have relationships with other people? Yeah, he did. But he didn't have friends, did he? he, went, he it wasn't close, tight friendship. I mean, it was Peter, James and John that Jesus continually invited to be uh, part of what he was up to. So the other day, and I do this all the time with my family, and uh, they're still young enough that they don't know what I'm up to all the time, but I, I ask my sons what they think about certain things. So I, I thought I'd ask my four-year-old, Lucas. I said, can you tell me what a good friend is? And it was cool. I thought, man, kids can say some things that are really basic but also really profound. You know what he said? He said, a good friend is someone that plays with you. Isn't that true? Now, I mean, you can change that 20, 30 years older. And it's a good friend is someone who just does some cool stuff with you. And you do it together. I said, yeah, okay, okay, give me something else. What else have you got? I said, what's a good friend? And he goes, well, they build stuff with you. That's what they do. And I think, well, isn't that true about life too? A friend is someone who uh, builds something. You know, there's a sense in which you're, you're kind of on this shared journey and you're actually building something together. And uh, then uh, I'm going to get a couple of girls up here to uh, throw some stuff in here at this point in time because a couple of girls in the school who come to the church here uh, said to me a while ago that they've been besties for 10 years. All right? And uh, do you guys even know what a bestie is? Oh, you do? Okay. So, uh, Liara and Sophie, why don't you come out the front here? Can we get some juice on this thing? Yeah, cool. We'll go stereo. I'm just going to interview these two girls. You're going to be famous. 18 people are going to listen to you online. <laughs> girls, tell me, just take your pick, whoever wants to throw in. What's it, what the heck is a bestie? Um, a bestie is <laughs> Sophie. And um, it's someone that you just always have to, like, you're just walking and you're like, oh, you don't understand, I need my bestie. And then you go and explain it and she's like, I know exactly what you mean. And then it's like vice versa. Yeah, <laughs> so so you, you're saying you can talk to each other and uh, understand. Yeah. So you, you understood what she was saying with vice versa then without her getting it right, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. See, that's exactly right. There it is, case in point. So what else do besties do? Come on. How, how do they act toward each other? With love? I don't know. Do, they, do you guys ever argue? Like, do you ever, Rarely. But, but have you ever argued? Yes. Yeah, so what do, what do besties do after an argument? Well, we usually just get sick of fighting and then we just become friends again. <laughs> we like go away for like probably half an hour and then you come back, you're like, I'm not oh, enjoying yeah. it. And then you're like, me either. And it's like, let's forget about it. Cool, cool. Yeah, and and how, you guys have been besties for 10 years, eh? Nine and a bit. Nine and a bit. Ten in yeah. January. <laughs> Almost ten in January. Isn't this good? Isn't this good? Uh, excellent. So uh, for people out there who don't have a bestie, get sell one. it, sell it. Like, why, should they get, why should they get one? Because you need someone that you can tell everything to, besides from God. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, you need someone that you can always, like someone on earth that you can always rely on and that you can tell everything to and know that they're going to love you so much that they're going to tell you the right thing to do and not what's always what you want to do, but they always know what the best thing is for you because they're your bestie, they know you and what's yeah. good for you. It's good. And is there anything else you want to throw in about besties? Mm. Somewhat of a sacrifice sometimes. Is it? How's, how's that? <laughs> like you have to um, sacrifice things for them sometimes. Yep. And Can you give an example of something you've sacrificed for Hengsty? <laughs> this is what besties do too, right? Um, in grade three. So <laughs> <laughs> Sophie was really embarrassed because she had a hole in her stockings. <laughs> so I... I took off my socks and gave them to her and I had no socks for the rest of the day and I walked home with no socks on. <laughs> That's what besties do, isn't it? Yeah. Look after each other, sacrifice for each other. Good. Anything else you want to throw in? Outstanding. Thanks, girls. Give them a round of applause, eh?
This, uh, this guy called St. Augustine, uh, hundreds of years ago, made this uh, comment, which I think fits in uh, regarding friendship. Friendship is to make conversation, to share a joke, to perform mutual acts of kindness, to read together well-written books, that would be said by a theologian, to share in trifling and in serious matters, to disagree, though without animosity, just as a person debates with himself, and in the very rarity of disagreement, to find the salt of normal harmony, to teach each other something, or to learn from one another, to long with impatience for those absent, to welcome them with gladness on their arrival. So what we're actually going to do today is uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, pardon me, can we just not amplify this? Okay, so Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 to 6, the writer of Hebrews actually makes a comparison between Moses and Jesus. So before we actually go to that scripture, what I want to do is I just want to have a bit of a look at Moses. Let's see what kind of relationship Moses had with God and uh, we'll see uh, what puts him on the uh, top of the pecking order because that's what you actually find with the Jews is that Moses was on top of the pecking order. Let me read you this. This is out of Exodus 33, verse 11 and just listen to the, the tenderness in this comment in Exodus. It says this, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. You hear the tenderness there? Isn't it beautiful? I mean, that, when I read that, I thought, man, that reminds me of Genesis chapter 3. And it's a, it's a bad situation that's going on in Genesis chapter 3, but doesn't it remind you of, of where it says there that the Lord God was taking a walk in the garden in the cool of the day? Isn't that beautiful? You know, I mean, I, I hear that and I just think, wouldn't you just love to just go for a walk with him? Wouldn't you love that? Just even right now. I mean, it, I mean, that would be one of the great delights and one of the great joys in heaven, won't it? It's just like Jesus and you get to go for a walk. And you'll have lots of time to do that. And that'll be beautiful. And he'll talk with you like he talked to Moses. He'll talk with you as a man talks with his friend. So what I actually wanted to do really briefly is, and this is why I wanted you to sit next to someone who's got a Bible. The other night, I actually went through uh, the first 32 and a bit chapters of... Um, of Exodus, and I thought, okay, if in, if in Exodus 3 it says that God used to talk to Moses like a man talks with his friend, let's have a look at the conversations that God and Moses have in Exodus. And it'd be a good exercise for you to do, it was really helpful for me. So I'm going to get you to um, use your Bible. So if you can open to the start of Exodus, all right, I'm going to fly through some of these. At the start of Exodus, is you've, uh, you've had this period of time where a guy called Joseph, and we know that Joseph is a real guy, not just because the Bible says it, but because archaeologically we've uh, discovered some stuff that he was in charge of uh, grain distribution in Egypt, right? which is, funnily enough, exactly what the Bible says. Okay? But apparently the Bible's not true unless you find something else that says it's true, which is weird. But we think the Bible's true, and it is true. And so uh, Joseph was in charge. He was... He was a descendant of Abraham who was in charge of grain distribution in a famine. And so there was lots of favour that was poured upon the Israelites there because of his, his uh, leadership and his rulership. But specifically at the start of Exodus there, you can actually see that Joseph had died and the Pharaoh had forgotten about Joseph. And so the Israelites were getting too big, they were getting too strong. And so they came up with this strategy to uh, weaken the Israelites. And the strategy was to kill the baby boys when they got born. And so, uh, in some sense, Moses is born with a laser kind of sniper dot on his head, all right? He's born, and the gig for the midwives is we just need to kill this guy. And uh, so what Moses' mum does is she puts him in a little boat and uh, pushes him out in, into uh, the river. And the princess uh, happens to come upon Moses, and she takes Moses in and kind of foster cares for him. And Strangely enough, she actually ends up getting uh, Moses' mum to come and look after him as he grows up. Moses grows up in the palace. He's, he's a Jew, he's an Israelite, and he grows up in the palace. And uh, one day in the palace, uh, sorry, one day when Moses had grown up, he actually saw a, uh, an Israelite being uh, beaten up by an Egyptian guard. And Moses decided this was his chance. This is God's calling for him. God put him in a position of power, probably. I mean, we don't know all of this information, but I suspect this was going on. And it's like... I need to defend my people. So he goes and he, he kills the Egyptian guard. 
And I'm sure Moses knew lots and lots of things about God, but he actually never had a conversation with God. And so he beats this guy up and then he runs away. And he's in the desert. He's in the desert for roughly 40 years. What's he going to do? He's on his own. He's tending sheep. And then one day, for the first time in Moses' life that we can tell from the Bible, God talks to him for the first time. And he sees a bush that's burning, but the bush is not burning up. And he walks over closer to it and God starts to talk to him. And they start having a conversation. Now the weird thing is, I mean, if it was one of us, you'd probably be speechless for a good while, and maybe Moses was. But, you know, Moses goes over and he starts having this interchange with God. And God's saying, I've got a plan to save my people. Almost saying that your plan didn't work, did it? But I've got a plan. One's a good plan. And you're part of my plan. And you know what's really interesting about this discussion? And if you can flick your Bibles over to Exodus chapter 3, you can have a little bit of a browse of it while I'm, while I'm sharing this with you. You know what's interesting about this in Exodus 3 is that Moses disagrees with God. That's pretty gutsy. But like we just heard, isn't that what friends do sometimes? They disagree. And so Moses says to God, I think you've got the wrong man. I'm not the right one. And God's going, I've got the right man. He's going, no, you don't. <laughs> He's going, uh, yes, I do. And I'm like, no, you don't. And they have this disagreement. But you know what's amazing about it, and this is what I just think is just so sweet, is that God doesn't turn around and desert Moses, you know, because one of the critical things about friendship is loyalty, isn't it? And God does not leave Moses. Moses says, my mouth is not good enough. God says, I made mouths. I can fix this all. I can get it done. And so they have this wonderful conversation that you could read about uh, later on. And then if you go across to Exodus 4 verse 19, they have another conversation. And what you notice in Exodus is that God and Moses just talk all the time. They seem to just talk. God directs Moses about the time when he needs to go back to Egypt and what he's meant to say. So God's helping Moses. And then you get to uh, Exodus 5, 22 to 23 and, and chapter 6, verse 1 to 9. And, and Moses has gone in and told Pharaoh, you need to let the people go. And then Pharaoh makes it worse. And then Moses comes back to God and then he accuses God of doing nothing. He's frustrated with God. And do you see the friendship going on here? It's a robust friendship, isn't it? This is not, shut up, Moses, and just do what you're told. This is a robust friendship and interaction that continues. God reminds Moses of who he is at that moment. He says, this is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I want you to do. Just, you need to know that I care. I'm not like what you think I am. All right? And so God takes, is at pains to explain to Moses what his character is. And you know, God does that with you, doesn't he? Don't we have moments with God where we think God's a particular kind of person or his character has morphed into something that's ugly? What does he do? Well, he doesn't desert you, does he? He's loyal to you. And what he will do is he'll just remind you of what he's like. He'll reveal himself again to you because that's what you need. And maybe even some of you need that today. Maybe there's some things that you're going through and you just, you just need to be reminded by your friend what he's like, that he hasn't deserted you and his plans haven't been messed up by whatever's happened. His plans will come about. And then you get down to 6, chapter 6, verse 10 to 12, Moses has another conversation with God. And in 6.29, Moses has another conversation with God. And God just lets Moses know, like a good friend would do, he lets Moses know, he goes, listen, he goes, he's not going to listen. When you go up to him, he's not going to listen. Pharaoh will not do what you want him to do or what you're asking him to do. And God says, but I'm going to come through and I'm going to do something. And then you've got, if you go from uh, chapter 7, uh, sorry, chapter 8, verse 1, through to uh, chapter 10, verse 21 to 24, you've got this whole procession of plagues and things that God brings upon Egypt to free his people. And you know, every single time that one of those plagues happens, God has a conversation with Moses. He talks with him before each one. It's not like, here's the 15-step plan. You've just got to go and get it done. It's like, right, here's the first one. Let's talk about it and then go and do it. And then the next one, okay, here's what we're going to do now. We're going to do this. 
And I want you to join me in this. Don't you see, isn't this beautiful? That God just continually has a conversation with his friend. And then we get down to chapter 11. It talks about the firstborn males and how God's going to deal with that situation and how the Passover is going to work. He has, it looks like he has a conversation with Moses in chapter 11. Another one in chapter 12 about how the Israelites can save their firstborn sons. Uh, another one toward the end of 12 and chapter 13 about the regulations on the Passover. Uh, and then this freaky moment when the Israelites actually get released and God, it almost looks in the text like God says, take all the Israelites and trap them. Put them in a place and trap them. Put them between the sea and between this place and God knows the Egyptians are coming. And this is a test. This is a test not just for the Israelites, this is a test for Moses and God's friendship because everything's on the line now. Because it looks like, I don't know, I looked the other day and some people suggest there's about 2 million people. 1 to 2 million people actually came out of Egypt. That's a lot of people. And that's a big slaughter, isn't it? So take them and almost trap them. And in chapter 14, you've got this situation where the people start to complain and just going, you just brought us out here to kill us. And this is God's character. This is what he's like. And you know what? Moses goes and he, compl he complains to God. God kind of says to him, he goes, what are you complaining to me for? Just go and walk through the water. It's like, do you really think that me, your friend, would do this to you? Do you really think that I'd do that? He says, go, I'm looking after you. It's beautiful. And then go to chapter 15 in Exodus. Have a look there. You know, chapter 15, Moses writes a song about God. And you know, I, I read it and I thought, this is Moses writing a song for all the people about what his friend is like. My friend's a god of war. My friend is the one that beats enemies. My friend is the mighty one that nothing can beat. That's a good song to sing. But then you get toward the end of 15 and people start to grumble against Moses they get bitter about it and then Moses and God have another conversation, right? And Moses is upset about it and he's crying to God and he goes, what are you doing? And God provides and he starts to provide manna and quail but it's all through this connection to Moses and the last thing I'll just finish with here is go to chapter 19 of Exodus. You know, we've some of us have probably seen movies on TV about Moses, right? And they all kind of get to Mount Sinai and then Moses kind of skips up the mountain and then he comes back down and then they kind of move on, all right? Now, if you actually go through Exodus chapter 19, you know how many times Moses goes up and talks to God? It's about nine. So he goes up and they have a talk and then he comes back down and God says, here's some stuff I want you to do down there. So he comes down and he gets it done and then God calls him back up then he comes back down, all right, does some other stuff that God wants him to do. Then he goes up and they have another talk, all right. And some of these are just amazing little conversations. And the boldness of Moses is amazing. Have a look at, uh, in verse 16 to 20 there, of chapter 19 there, it, it, it kind of says that there's thunder and there's lightning and there's thick cloud. And you know what Moses is actually doing is he's introducing the people to God. Let me just read this. Has everyone got that there? On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Isn't that beautiful? Everyone's scared and God's friend brings everyone out to meet the one that they're scared of. So like, come and meet my friend. Yeah, he's a bit scary, but come and meet my friend. Isn't that beautiful? Just have a look at uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. This is after the Ten Commandments. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the, smoke, the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen. But don't let God speak to us because he'll probably kill us. All right? Moses said to the people, don't fear 
For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off. Check this out. It's verse 21. Have a look at that. The people stood far off. They were scared. They were fearful. While Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that tell you something about his relationship with God, his friendship with God? Everyone else is just going, we can't even handle to hear God talk to us because it's going to kill us. And Moses is going, well, I just want to go closer. I want to get, I want to get right in the middle of that because that, we're friends. Now, he's, he's a scary friend in some ways, but he's a good friend. He's a loyal friend. It's, it's just a, I mean, I'm not going to spend any more time on that, but can you see how it's just beautiful, these interchanges that are happening between Moses and God? They're just talking all the time, they're connecting all the time. And then you get in chapter uh, 33, verse 7 to 11, this is where that scripture came from before. Just meditate on this. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. Now, let me explain this to you. The Old Testament and in Exodus, God gives Moses instructions about the tabernacle, which was the place that people were to go and meet God in. But you know what? The tabernacle hadn't been constructed at this point in time. So you know what this is? This is what commentators say. This is, Moses had a tent that he just set up outside the camp where he would go and talk with God. Isn't that beautiful? He'd just go outside to this tent and he had a servant he used to it looks like the servant used to guard the tent when he wasn't in the tent all right but i mean it's almost got the sense like i think god and i need to talk so i'm just going to go out and i'm going to go to my tent no one else goes into my tent that's my tent that's where god and i talk and i'm going to sit down and we're going to talk and it's, and it's almost like it's it's just regular and and the scriptures here we'll keep reading it but just Keep that picture in the back of, your, back of your mind as we read this. Far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. I mean, even the way that that's put there, isn't it? Don't you get the feeling, and maybe some of you got this feeling about God that he's just this, he just gives directives all the time, you know? He's like uh, chief executive officer, and he's giving you directives. Now, this is not, doesn't sound like someone giving directives, does it? It, it could say, Moses went in and God would talk to Moses, you know, and God would get his index finger out, and he'd go, listen, you, this is what you need to do, and this is what you need to do with your people out there. But yet, what does it say? It says, God would speak with Moses. With. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the, at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a million people all stand at the door of their tent? Because, hey guys, let's just, everyone just stop. Because Moses and God are talking. They're spending some time together, so we're going to stop. And when the pillar of cloud comes down on top of the tent, that means God's actually there having a conversation, right? So everyone else is on hold, all right? You can't, you know, you can't ring the extension number to the tent, right? Because God and Moses are having a conversation, all right? And you're not going to get in. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. It's almost got that sound like he's here and he's, he's going, this is the special place. And I'll just ask you at this point in time, and I hadn't planned on saying this, but what's, what's your special place? Where, where's your meeting place with God? Where do you talk? Where's your tent? Because it's true, isn't it, for all of our lives, that we need to have a tent we need to have a sacred, special place, don't we, where we and God talk together. Isn't that true? And some people have, uh, I mean, I've heard American preachers talk about having a prayer den or a, a prayer closet. And, and for them, that's like their little tent. They're just, I'm going to go to the tent, you know, and it'll be weird in your family, you know. Your husband comes along and goes, hey, how about we watch a movie? You just go, no, I'm going to my tent, you know. <laughs> that'll be weird, Right? 
But here's the thing, like you need it and I need it because we're made to be friends with God. You see these other beautiful statements about Moses also in a couple of other books. Uh, One of them is Numbers chapter 12. It says, With Moses I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? This is some people grumbling against Moses. He goes, We talk face to face. We're friends. What are you doing? Isn't that what friends do too? Friends just go, Really? Like you're serious? Someone's ripping on my friend? I'm coming after him, all right? And a nice, don't you do that? Don't you defend that when someone who's a really close friend of yours, you're just going, no, you're not going to rip on my guy or my girl. You're not ripping on him. I'm coming after you, all right? And there's a little bit of this kind of feel here for God. He's going, no, you're not going to do that. He's my guy, all right? And I'm looking after my guy, all right? So you either pull your head in or I'll push it in, all right? Because <laughs> he does that sometimes, doesn't he? I'm just going to push your head in until I can't hear you anymore, complaining and being bitter. And then in uh, Deuteronomy 34.10 it says, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Isn't that beautiful? When you got Moses comes down from Sinai and his face is so radiant, they put a veil over, over his head. And he's, he's, just, he's been in the presence of God. He's been with his friend. It's beautiful. Which brings us to uh, Hebrews chapter 3. And this is coming a little bit out of left field for Hebrews 3, but I hope you can, you'll be fine with it. I hope you can see the connection. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's household, his family. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's household as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's household as a son. And we are his household, if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. There's not many people in the Old Testament that get called God's friend. In James chapter 2, verse 23, it actually talks about how Abraham believed God and because he believed God, he became God's friend. But you see here, uh, even in the Old Testament, it talks about the relationship that happened between God and Moses, but I actually haven't found anywhere yet where it specifically says that Moses was God's friend. It says that he spoke with him like a friend, but there's nothing explicit uh, that I've been able to find about Moses being God's friend. And you know what's interesting about this is in this passage in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is going, check this out. Moses was just a servant. Jesus is a son. Moses worked inside God's household in the family. Jesus builds the household. Hang on to Jesus. Hang on to Jesus. See, Jesus is better. Hold fast to him and listen to him. And those of you who have been around long enough to hear the Hebrews stuff that we've been doing, this is a common theme for the writer of Hebrews is hang on to Jesus. So what does Jesus say about friends? What does he say about servants? I think there's an amazing kind of overlap between this uh, scripture out of John and the whole concept of friendship and servants and hopefully this will tie Moses' friendship with God and, and so forth together and Hebrews together. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Meditate on this one. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And here's what Jesus says. No longer do I call you servants. He says this to you today. If you love him, he doesn't call you his servant. Now, obviously, in other parts of the Bible, some of you think, well, I can think of some times where he calls you servants. Yeah, he calls you servants, but you're way more than a servant, aren't you? This is what he says. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
So you can see up here, you know what one of the things is that, that God does with his friends is he tells them stuff. That's, that's John 15. We just read that before. Right? You see up there it says, the servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You know, friends have little secrets, don't they? I mean, we saw one before, didn't we? It's just, oh, <laughs> all right? Check this out. Out of uh, Psalm 25, verse 14 there, it says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. So you don't just come into God's presence. I mean... I don't see Moses being disrespectful and dishonourable toward God. I just don't think he is. He's very respectful, but there's a, there's a genuine friendship that's actually going on. But check out what it says in the rest of this verse. And he makes known to them his covenant. Right Now, in other versions of the Bible, it talks about the fact that God makes his secrets known to those who are friends of his. You see that? And isn't that a critical part of a good friendship is there's special knowledge between the two friends, isn't there? And they... Isn't there? And they tell each other stuff that maybe everyone else doesn't know. And this is the thing. You become friends with God and what he's going to start doing is he's going to start telling you some of his secrets. I just want to read you a section out of uh, C.S. Lewis. And before I do, some of you probably right now are just going, man... Seriously, it would be really easy if I had a tent and I went out to a tent. Anyone thinking that? Just go, it's, it seems to be a whole lot harder than that. I'd, I've, I'd love to just have a tent like Moses and I could go out. I mean, this is something that comes up all the time in the school here. It's come up in my family with my boys. Is I don't, I don't hear God. God doesn't audibly speak to me. And that's frustrating. Is anyone else frustrated by that? Yeah. Now, Listen. I just want you to know you're actually in a better place than Moses. Seriously. You're in a better place than Moses. Let me tell you why. Because you know what Moses didn't have? He didn't have roughly 31,000 verses that are what God says. All right? He doesn't have a book. He doesn't have a book that's got 66 books in it, which is God saying, this is what I'm saying to you. All right? His only connection, in a sense, is him going out and him talking to God direct. And some of you are going, well, I'd like that. But listen, you can pick it up anytime, can't you? And doesn't the Bible talk about the fact that it is the sword of the Spirit? Which means, isn't the way that God's actually going to communicate with you is actually through the Bible? And you've got it there. Now, is it hard to read because it's written in another time? Yes, it's hard to read. But if it's what God wants to talk, say to you, and if it's, if it's the main weapon and the main tool that the Holy Spirit wants to use to communicate directly to you, you better read it. And I'm not saying that because you have to and that you've got someone up here saying you've got to be happy, all right? Because the Bible's just about, I want to get this stuff inside of me because, you know, in my experience, this is how the Holy Spirit speaks to me most of the time. He messes with Scripture in a really good way. So I read it and it washes over me and then the Holy Spirit just brings it to my memory at the right times. And you know, I would say, without a shadow of a doubt, that God and I have conversations. Now, I do think that people still have unique conversations with God where some people say they almost hear him uh, audibly. And that's cool. We don't have an issue with that. But I don't think that's the lion's share of the conversation that needs to be happening. The lion's share is you digesting all the words of God and then the Holy Spirit messing with that and bringing it to bear on your particular situation. You can have a conversation with him. And I'm not just saying this, I think you are in a far better position than Moses was. All right? I just think you are. I think I am. Let me read you something uh, out of the, uh, the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. This is a connection moment that happens between Aslan and Lucy, the friendship that I referred to earlier. But for the movement of his tail, this is Aslan, he might have been a stone lion, but Lucy never thought of that. She never stopped to think whether he was a friendly lion or not. That sounds a bit like Moses, doesn't it? I mean, Moses, come up into the thick darkness where the, uh, the cloud and the lightning and everything, it's all scary. He's just going, well, he's not even really thinking about whether it's dangerous or not. Now, everyone else is going, that's really dangerous. What would you go up there for? She rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment. 
And the next thing she knew was that she was kissing him and putting her arms as far around his neck as she could and burying her face in the beautiful, rich silkiness of his mane. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy, at last. Do you look forward to a moment like that with God? There'll be a moment like that. There will be. It's the at last moment, isn't it? Because it's hard sometimes, isn't it? But the at last moment, at last. Great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into the large wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. This is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, I'm not. But every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. This is what friendship with God is like, isn't it? It just gets richer and bigger and more delightful. I'll leave you with a couple of scriptures. God wants to be friends with you. Check this out from Leviticus. And I will walk among you and I'll be your God and you shall be my people. He wants to walk with you. But that's not just spiritual, you know, we'll talk about oh, I'm a spiritual walk, right? Yeah, you've got a spiritual walk, right? But I think God physically wants to walk amongst us, all right? Some kind of physical expression of it, all right? Obviously, there's a spiritual component to it, but I think in heaven you'll get to walk with him. And then you get in Revelation 21, verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He'll dwell with them, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He's going to set up home with us. He already has set up home with us, hasn't he? He lives inside of us. And then Jesus. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, He'll keep my word. My father will love him. And we're going to come to him. We're going to make our home with him. Isn't this intimate? Do you hear the intimate language? It's like we'll put up a flat for him out the back. He's got to pay his own power bills and all that sort of gear. All right? He's got to get his own food. Okay, maybe he can rummage around in the bin with the stuff that we don't want. It's not that at all, is it? It's God just going, man, I'm just going to, oh, man, you're just going to live with me. And I'm going to live with you. And we're going to, it's just going to, be, it's going to be tight. And then this. This is probably the cream of all of my... I posted a status update on uh, Facebook this week and I said, this is almost unthinkable, this verse. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's almost unthinkable, isn't it? That God would come... And hang out with us and be our friend. So let me finish with this. What's your current friendship with God like? What, what's your vision? Have you even got a vision for what your friendship with God could be like? I mean, the last week or so, you know, sometimes when you have really good things happen, you just kind of go, oh, I've just got to tell my friend. Or if something really hard happens, you go, oh, I just need to talk to my friend. You know, and if you're married and you've got a really good friendship with your, your husband or your wife, you just go, I've just got to go and talk to them. I've got to tell them about some stuff. You know, and in the last week or so, as I've been chewing this over and God's just been putting this message together for me, it's, that's what I've been really wanting to do is things have got hard in the last week and a bit and I've gone, I just need to talk to my friend. I just need to talk to him. So I'm just going to pull aside from whatever I'm doing and we'll just have a conversation all right, and maybe sometimes he doesn't talk back and no scriptures come to mind. And, but that's okay, I've just got to tell my friend. All right, because sometimes you tell friends and they don't say anything back, isn't there? you just got to tell them. All right? And he already knows about it, but friends don't say, you already know about it, so I'm not going to tell you. Friends go, you already know about it, and I'm telling you anyway. Yeah, I've heard this, I know, but I'm telling you again. Don't you have those kind of moments sometimes? I'm just telling you anyway, because this is really important. Yeah, you told me you're really excited about the pair of shoes you bought. Well, I'm telling you again, they're really nice shoes. All right? This is what friends do, right? Do you have a vision for that? Do you have a vision for your friendship with God? What could that be like? 
What is your friendship currently like with God? Is it like an old school friend and you kind of finished grade 12 and you never saw each other again? And maybe you would see him and you'd say, oh, I think that they're my friend. Is, that, is, is your friendship with God like that? Yeah, I kind of knew him a few years ago. I just don't know him now. But I still call him my friend. Maybe it's like someone who takes your money at the fuel station. All right? You go to the same fuel station all the time. You get to know them. You know their name because they've got a badge on. All right? Hey, Barry, how you doing? Barry's my friend. No, he's just the dude that takes money off you, all right? He's not your friend, all right? I mean, you could even say that about God, and some people probably say that about God, that God's just the one that takes my money off me, all right? <laughs> In the offering. Is he that guy? Is he an estranged friend? What about this? Is God a Facebook friend? Is he? Is he someone who you're related to, but you're never related Never talk? He never talks to you? You don't spend time reading what he wants to say to you? Well, maybe, it's, maybe you've got a, a vital, close relationship with Jesus. Maybe he is tight. And you sit here this morning, I would love it if a whole bunch of you would say amen to this in your hearts. And you sit here this morning and you go, yes, he's my friend. He's a very, very close friend. And he's a friend I could never live without, ever. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I could have every other friend and I could not do it without him. Proverbs 18.24 says this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let's pray. God, you're a great hope. Oh, we need so much to have someone that sticks closer than a brother. Because God, even our closest human friendships make us feel lonely sometimes. Because they never quite scratch where we're itching. And they fail sometimes. But you never do. You never do. It's no wonder that Moses was the champion of the Jews all the wonderful, miraculous things that you did, the freedom that he brought to the people of Israel, but this friendship that he had with you. God, thank you for opening the floodgates to friendship with you. Please share your deep secrets with us all. Help us to know you. Pray that you would know us more, relationally know us more. Amen.